continuing the theme today, uh, we're not going to be too subtle with this gleaning theme, uh, because we're, we're going to listen to a passage of Scripture, a passage of Scripture where gleaning plays a central role, and that is uh, in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, which tells only a small part of this story, but an important part, so I urge you to listen, to receive the wisdom and the message that the Spirit may have for us today in these words of Scripture. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she went. And she came and she gleaned in the field behind the reapers. And as it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, came from Boaz, excuse me just then Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers the lord be with you and they answered the lord bless you then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers to whom does this young woman belong the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered she is the moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab and she said, quote, please let me glean and gather among the, among the sheaves behind the reapers. And so she came. And she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting for even a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to My young women, keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. For I have ordered the young men not to bother you. And if you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then Ruth fell prostrate with her face to the ground. And she said to Boaz, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Sorry, I just do need to do a little counting. I'll be right with you. I'm with you. Sorry about that. I just need to write this number down. Okay, where were we? Oh, yes. The sermon. The sermon. Let us pray. God, we are here. And as we, your people, meet to offer praise and prayer, may we find in fuller measure what it is in Christ we share. 
And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So where are we? Today, in at least a scriptural sense, we find ourselves here in the book of Ruth. See, kind of close to the beginning, but much has already happened. Many of you know Ruth, especially those of you who have taken Larry's Old Testament class. You know Ruth, and you know that she would have made a great character in Larry's sermon series on great characters of the Bible, as would have other characters in this story, like Naomi, Boaz, and Orpah. And their story is situated in the Bible just after the book called Judges. Now, if Judges had a nickname, it would be, quote, flaming hot dumpster fire of a mess. (laughs) Because that is what Judges describes. Judges' very last sentence tells us pretty much everything we need to know. But in those days, there was no king in Israel, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. Ruth places itself right there in that mess of a time, in the days when the judges ruled. Ah, those were not the days. The Israelites had settled into their promised land, savoring the fruits of their independence that they had won from Egypt and its pharaonic monarchy. But in the generations that followed, outbreaks of violence and alienation exposed divisions that had been there from the very beginning, cracks in their tribal foundations that shook the people's psyches as they found themselves careening from one cycle of tragedy and bloodshed to another, their leaders and those loyal to them unwilling or unable to establish a just peace in a hostile world where the Brief glimmers of goodness and optimism seem always to give way to some new variant of chaos, some virulent strain eating away at the fabric of their communities, demoralizing their families and individuals already overwhelmed by their own aches and pains, not to mention the threats pressing upon them with all nations and religions turning against each other rather than turning to one another, with all of the intractable injustices that seemed to intensify like wildfire, Windswept by selfishness and fear, the temperatures of anxiety rising and rising, hastening hurricanes of despair, while nothing seems to break the harmful and entrenched patterns of human behavior. The people who cannot get out of their own way struggle to change the course of history, to heal the wounds of the present, or steer the ship in some better future direction, leaving everyone hungry, everyone lost, everyone wanting to believe it will get better, but everything they're seeing tells them it's only going to get worse. And 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 I read the news today, oh boy. That's where we are in the story. And so enters the book of Ruth. 
its story is like one of those feel-good segments at the end of the nightly news featuring some homespun act of altruism that drops a glimmer of hope into a broadcast dominated by scandal, bloodshed, and disaster. Now, Ruth has its complexities. It has its issues from the modern lens, including the injustices of patriarchy and an oppressive system of economics. But next to judges, Ruth is like the little plant of hope growing in the man-made desolation of Wally. I think five of you maybe got that reference. <laughs> For here in Ruth are characters who are good and kind to each other across boundaries of gender, nationality, and class, who go beyond what is minimally expected in the social contract in order to share the abundant harvest of a more generous and loving community. Here are those characters who tend the fields in such a way that the landscape is changed, the trajectory of God's people altered. God is in and through all of this, though not as God appears in the pages before. Here, God is frequently invoked but never speaks. Here, God makes no visible action but ever moves in the fields and the families of human existence to enact the will of heaven. Through God and through these characters, there is much to glean from these pages, especially given where we are in these times. We have defined well, thanks to Jacob and Lynette, what gleaning is. But I'll reiterate, and using the words from the Society of St. Andrew website, to which I turn your attention after the service, gleaning is the, is the traditional biblical practice of gathering crops that would have otherwise been left in the fields to rot or be plowed under. And instead of going to waste, these crops nourish the poor and the marginalized members of their communities. Ruth, the widowed foreigner living with her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, is the first and I believe the only gleaner mentioned in the Bible. We find her in our story turning people's heads, not necessarily for her looks, but for her hard work in the fields of barley. Boaz, the wealthy and respected landowner, takes note of Ruth and asks his reapers about her. And they tell him that she is the Moabite who, in her devotion and care, and at the risk of her own well-being, accompanied her Israelite mother-in-law, Naomi, from Moab, where both had lost their husbands and Naomi had lost both of her sons. There's so much in this story worthy of our attention. I truly do encourage you to take 30 minutes this week and read it. And I encourage the use of a study Bible that can help open up some of the meaning that might be missed in a casual read. But one thing I do want us to pay attention to is something that came a little bit before the story we read, where when Naomi returned 
to her home in Bethlehem. Yeah, Bethlehem, that place that's famous for the inn that has no room, the babe that would lie in the swaddling clothes in the manger. When she came back, Naomi made a lament. She said, call me no longer Naomi, which had a connection to the word for sweetness or pleasantness. Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. That is bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, Naomi said. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Call me Mara. Now, in the modern day rule book of nicknames, we know that nicknames cannot be self administered. I can't say to you, I'm, I'm P. Cool, and expect you to call me that, and please don't. <laughs> Likewise, Naomi said, Call me Mara. But the author of Ruth, the narrator, if you keep reading the pages, refused to use her self-administered nickname. For the rest of the story, she's consistently referred to as Naomi. Her identity is still tied to that which is pleasant and sweet, even though she cannot see or experience that. There was not this no self-administered nicknames rule in biblical times. I think that believe and believe that the narrator knows that Naomi is meant to know more than lament, more than bitterness. And that is what I want us to glean today from the book of Ruth. There's more in store for us than bitterness or lament. Despite the dumpster fire of a mess that we seem to be in, despite all of the waves of bad news, all of the intractable problems of the day, and our seeming inability to do much about them, and our lingering doubts as to whether God is doing much about them either, there is something more for us than resignation and despair. For God moves in these pages, even though we cannot see God's movement. God's voice sounds, even though we cannot hear any words. This gleaner, Ruth, working in the fields, becomes the part of the harvest in God's salvation story. God's story in Ruth begins with a famine, and it ends with a genealogy that points to the one who will say, those who come to me will never be hungry. I'm skipping a lot of the details here. But if you read this book, you'll come to see that Boaz marries Ruth, and he does so decently and in order. And they bear a son whom Naomi sees also as her own son. And his name was Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, who became the great king of Israel, uniting the disjointed tribes and becoming the forebear of Christ himself, 28 tumultuous, tumultuous generations later. When Ruth gleaned those fields in the very town of Christ's birth, 
She had no idea where she fit in the big picture of God's story and the story of God's people. How her hungry laboring in the barley fields would cooperate in God's anointing of a great and future king and the Messiah. She couldn't see any of that. She just had her head down on the ground before her, focused on the harvest at hand. That's what Boaz, in his elder wisdom and care, had told her to do. He said, keep your eyes on the field. Keep your eyes on the field. On Friday, we held in the sanctuary a memorial for Connie Ring, who with Jane, his wife, has been a huge part of the story of Westminster and Alexandria. Connie's great uncle, Russell Conwell, was a Baptist minister in the uh, 1900s or 19th century. And he was the founder of Temple University, and it was there and many other places he delivered a very famous lecture called Acres of Diamonds. That lecture told the story of a once wealthy farmer who died destitute, having sold all of his land, all of his fields, leaving everything behind in search of diamonds that he never did find. So then one day, the next tenant of that farmer's land took his camel for a drink, and in the stream below, he saw a curious flash of light. Reaching into the waters, he pulled out a shadowy stone with an eye of light that reflected all of the colors of God's rainbow. And a visiting priest beheld the stone and exclaimed, That is a diamond! And together they rushed to the garden and stirred the white sands and found other stones more beautiful and valuable than the first. The moral of this story is that acres of diamonds were there for that first farmer's taking, if only he attended the soil beneath his feet. Or to paraphrase using Boaz's words, the farmer ought to have kept his eyes on the field. With her eye on the field and her hand on the barley, Ruth becomes a part of something that she cannot see. She cooperates with God's movement of all things towards God's loving purposes in Christ. And her laboring saves Naomi from her bitterness and despair. Ruth's story, in many respects, is the doctrine of God's providence in narrative form. In the Reformed tradition, the doctrine of God's providence refers to God's cooperation with all created beings to guide all things toward God's ultimate purposes and their higher good. God moves through us and what happens to us to to crown God's glorious purpose for us and for creation. Often, and this is an understatement, we can't recognize or realize how or where this is happening. And this is why Ruth can help us, because she models for us how to keep our eyes on the field. What I want to propose to you today, humbly and incompletely, is that in light of a hurricane barreling onto an oft-battered coast, In light of failed wars and new terrors and all of the tumors and tremors of our existence, 
In, in the face of all that has us singing, I read the news today, oh boy, we do not have to call ourselves bitter or seek that bitterness as our name. We have been invited and called to cooperate in God's providential care. So inspired by Ruth and the story of those around her, let's go apple gleaning. Let's do this. September 25th, a Saturday morning with the Society of St. Andrew at the Marker Miller Orchard in Winchester, which, by the way, has some really good cinnamon donuts. (laughs) We've been going for as many years as I've been in this position of mission and pastoral care, uh, every year at least until the pandemic. And every year we've had, I don't know, Kristen, what, 10 Maybe 12 on a good Sunday, a good Saturday, 10 or 12 people from Westminster out of a congregation of a 1,000. And I think that if Lynette can come all this way to tell 75 (laughs) of us here and those gathered online about what they do, then Westminster, we can send 75 to Winchester And join them in that work. Let's give them more people than they can handle. This week, we'll create a sign-up. And if you can do it, sign up. It will stave off hunger. And it may stave off your bitterness. And though it may feel like we're doing something merely for the sake of doing it, well, what is the harm in that? And if you can't do it because of limitations or commitments that make such an undertaking unworkable, find another field to fix upon your eyes. God has a plan for creation, a plan that involves our cooperation. So let's get on our hands and our knees and attend to it. We may never see how gleaning a few bushels of fruit will have anything to do with putting out the dumpster fires of this world. But Ruth testifies that it can and it does. That our picking that in our picking apples we may unearth carrots. Carrots of diamonds in those acres of God's making and God's sustaining. The book of Ruth can be for us a feel-good story because in it, each of us counts, and in it, each of us is very much counted. So sign up, because there in the fields is where we shall be. Amen.